You're a wizard, Harry. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today we are discussing Chapter 8, The Potions Master. Uh, We have a new guest with us this week. Her name's Elizabeth. Uh, She's got a background in uh, teaching English, so this should be a very interesting conversation (laughs) as she breaks down JK's (laughs) writing in depth and detail. Elizabeth, what uh, what kind of made you fall in love with the series? I actually hate Harry Potter, so I don't know why I'm here. Well, this at is all. awkward. This is like podcast plot twist. Yeah. But actually, I love Harry Potter. I have loved it for a very very long time. Um, I started reading when Prisoner of Azkaban had already come out, and I distinctly remember the weight, the antagonizing weight for Goblet of Fire. And my parents were incredibly intelligent, and in that they bought us all three copies. Of our books so my siblings and i would not fight over them it is a wise move if it's very smart very, very expensive at the time but also very smart so i don't know i like similar to you i grew up with harry it was the same age and i fell in love with the fantasy of the magic and the emotional depth and the darkness because it gets very dark very quickly and I love it. I try to reread it every summer. I literally just finished uh, last week my reread. So I get something new out of it every single time, which is kind of cool. It's too. You do reread it pretty consistently, which is awesome. Yeah. I don't know the last time I reread the whole series. I kind of pick certain parts that I like to go back to and reread. <laughs> I don't know that I've... I See, I couldn't do that. I need to reread the whole thing. I can't thing. remember. The, it's probably been a minute since I've reread the whole series. But this is also why I'm doing this podcast, so well, I can do see, that. there you go. You're your own audience. Uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. I hope you all are listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we'll get started with the non-spoiler section. Um, this is a big chapter, especially for you, again, with that teaching background, because we meet a lot of our teachers and our classes in this. They're pretty fantastic. You also get to meet, like the school a little bit um because they give a description of hogwarts that i love and that uh, this is another detail that i always forget about and i've had several of those as i read the first couple of chapters but uh they gave a specific number on the number of staircases in hogwarts which how many like, staircases are there Dan? there's 142 staircases that's a lot of staircases i just think it's complete trolling of the first years that they don't give them a tour of the castle and they don't give them a map of the castle. It's just kind of like, here's your first day. We'll show you where the Great Hall is. We'll show you where your dorm is. And then tomorrow, be in class on time. And good luck. You'd think Percy the Prefect would have to guide first years or some... Because, I mean, with the hallways, the staircases changing. Doors pretending to be walls. Doors pretending to be walls. walls secret passageways that are shortcuts. Some are legitimized passageways. Some are not legitimized passageways. Right. Um, you have the whole part of the third floor that's blocked off at this point in time. It's hard to be a first year in this school. My yes. goodness. Especially with Peeves around to mess with you. Much as I love Peeves. 
Oh, so much. And Filch always just uh, skulking around, yelling at you for whatever. Yeah, but whatever. he has a cat, so it's okay. Okay, let's just talk about Filch <laughs> and Mrs. Norris real quick. Um, Filch and Mrs. Norris. We've talked a little bit about, like, Hogwarts and maybe the sorting hat and, and things like that having, like, another magic to it. Yeah. That's, like, bigger than the universe, really. Uh, I think I compared it to the Force in Star Wars. <laughs> of course you did. Yes. Where <laughs> the magic kind of, like, almost has a will to it, mm-hmm. but it has, like, this extra thing that's outside of people actually using it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And this relationship between Filch and Mrs. Norris, to a lesser extent, granted, but I feel like there's gotta be a... There, a I mean, there is a deeper connection there, obviously. When you have a cat, you have a very deep connection to your cat. I, I guess you would know more than I would about this. <laughs> I do not own a cat. Uh, that's fair. I get it. But, I mean, they... She's almost, like, a person in cat form. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely likes to snitch on the kids as much as anyone else does. Mrs. Norris? Why a Mrs.? Is there a Mr. Norris that we're just not getting? <laughs> He Chuck, died a long time ago. Is it Chuck Norris? Is that who we're talking about? <laughs> That's a dumb joke. Okay. Um, no, but I, I don't know. Their relationship just seems very, very unique. I mean, people say, like, you know, dogs are man's best friend, but cats are very affectionate if you get a good cat. I guess the pairing does make sense because Filch, you know, however you want to describe him, he seems to pop up suddenly. And mm-hmm. quietly, like mm-hmm. cats do very often, sneak around. So maybe it's just a pairing that, that works. But Filch has been around a long time at Hogwarts, and he knows his way around the castle extremely well. Almost as much as the twins. Almost as much as the twins. But of course, that's for a different reason. Yes. Speaking of navigating yeah. Hogwarts, though, one of the, when this chapter starts, I mean, we have all the different students whispering about Harry behind his back. Yeah. Which I think it is, it screams volumes about Harry that he doesn't let it go to his head and he's more focused on just trying to get to his classes. And it's almost like an irritation, but not an annoyance, if that makes any sense. It's just, you know, I'm not going to get distracted by the fame because suddenly I am famous and all these kids are paying attention to me. It could be overwhelming attention. I probably would hate it if I were in his shoes. But he just takes it with stride and just goes about his business and is like, I'm in this castle of magic. This is so much fun. How do I get to my first class? So I think it, it, it really shows Harry as a, as a person is, is a, has a strong head on his shoulders. He doesn't let it get to his ego. I think it's almost a bit of foreshadowing when Harry's at the zoo uh, with the snake. And he has that moment. And the snake's in captivity. And he just looks at the snake and is like, this isn't, like, a good life. Right. And then you, a couple chapters later, get him here, and he's basically in his own zoo of people just literally trying their best to just get a look at him or a look at his scar or If it was in today and age, everyone would be like, can we take a selfie? And be like, no, yes. I have to get to Transfiguration. Can you please not? Well, in this world, it's even better because you can get a moving selfie. Yeah, true. Uh, you could have him literally lift up his hair <laughs> and get an image of the scar. Um, 
Yeah. So he no. would he would have so many pictures of people just like pointing at his forehead. Yes. Like, wow, way to make me self-conscious about this thing on my face. Yep. <laughs> no, it, but yeah, you bring up a good point. It's a very interesting look at Harry um, and, and kind of being more annoyed by it than uh, I think pumped up by yeah. it. Yeah, that inflated ego. Yes. Not a thing. Which is, I guess, one of Harry's better characteristics. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it comes from a very humble beginning. <laughs> uh, and, and his... Um, borderline slash not so borderline child abusive <laughs> growing up but um, very very fine line definitely telling more on the abuse side yeah um but and part of that keeping him grounded is is Hagrid right uh and you see kind of their relationship blossom a little bit more here with Hagrid's letter Harry got his first letter and uh and trip to Hagrid's for Brunch, I guess you'd say? Lunch? Yeah, probably brunch. Which is interesting since, like, everyone thinks of Ron as Harry's first friend, but Hagrid is is mm. really the first introduction to magic to the wizarding world, but also his first one who shows, like, I care about you, tell me how your day went, how your week went. Maybe you could think of him as, like, the fond uncle or I was gonna godfather say, yeah. or something like that. Because there is that, you know, adult-child relationship. But he cares. You're which right. he should, because he saw him as a baby. He fits that, like, kind of crazy uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hagrid, I, I think it's a relationship of two outcasts, in a way. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, you know, Hagrid's not very well-liked, except... I mean, he's liked amongst the teachers, even though he's not maybe as respected as some of the... Uh, Dumbledore obviously loves him, keeps him close. Again, he probably has some ulterior motives for that reason, <laughs> uh, which we've talked about. But um, other than that, Hagrid's kind of been kind of shunned. I mean, very literally shunned to the outskirts of Hogwarts. Yeah, get your little hut and just go chill in there. Yeah. But take care of the grounds. It's cool. And Harry's much the same. He's never had friends. He's never, I mean, now he's getting a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, Hagrid was really that first person, and they've kind of had that connection. Of, I've been disrespected, I've been looked down on, I've been uh, trodden over, and and now uh, we at least have each other. Right. Going into Hogwarts, and this we know year. Hagrid knew his parents and was fond of his parents, so it's understandable after he saw him eleven years ago as a baby. And now it's he's at Hogwarts. Oh, if only Lily and James could have seen him now. Is that sense of pride there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's a really interesting relationship that it's it's cool to watch it kind of grow. Yeah. From here, but so we have an introduction to all of the classes and teachers, which I know you want to get to. <laughs> uh, she has prepped <laughs> and prepped is an accurate word. Uh, okay, I look prepared like how I do for lessons, so I don't think it's overboard. So at this point, I'm just uh, at this point, I'm just going to turn it over to Elizabeth here and let her run with the the teachers in the classes. Okay, so yes, we do get the introduction to all of the classes Harry takes. You know, he has astronomy, biology, history of magic, charms, transfiguration, defense against dark arts, and potions. Which, just as a first overview of the categories of magic, I think it's pretty cool. Those are like your core subjects that you have to take every single year. And when I was as 
when I was younger and I was reading Harry Potter, I would always look at these classes from a student perspective and just think about like, you know, whose classes would I be interested in taking and what would I, which professor would I like best? Now as a teacher reading it, I tend to look at how they handle their classrooms. Such a nerd. (laughs) Some have more success than others, but also I think sometimes it just depends on their subject. Like Flitwick doesn't have the best classroom management at times. Things kind of run a little chaotic, but that's also kind of the nature of charms. It's very charming and fun and chaos ensues when you don't have the correct wand movement or say, a lot can go wrong very quickly a lot goes wrong so i mean he has to have so much patience in order to deal with kids exploding things left and right on accident then you have people like <laughs> professor bins who has checked out of his subject but also checked out of life like i mean he is a ghost which is pretty funny to have a ghost as as your teacher but he he doesn't even bother to really learn the student names he just lectures the entire time and he never deviates from his lecture. And there are some people who can lecture really well. He is not one of them. Only, well, I guess I can gets into spoilers, but the, most students cannot pay attention. And then I think it's interesting that Snape and McGonagall, Harry comments that they both have a similar quality, but I think for different reasons. They both have the ability to have a class hanging on the edge of their seats and every word that they have, they don't have to raise their voices, which is really difficult to do. And also shows that they are both veteran teachers. Um, McGonagall though, her control of her classroom is more because of respect that the students have for her. They want to do well for her. They don't want to, you know, be obnoxious and give her issues. Snape though, it's more of fear. I don't want him to embarrass me. I don't want him to make some snarky comment and bully me. Or I'm a Slytherin and I can get away with anything because favoritism. So how do you think McGonagall has kind of cultivated that uh, environment of respect? Is it just her? She respects the students. That's You respect the students, they respect you back. And she definitely has high expectations for the kids, which they are well aware of. And if you fall flat of her expectations... She's not going to yell at you for it, but she is going to say, you know, I'm disappointed in what you did. And that disappointment, as a tool for a teacher, that gets a lot more out of the kids sometimes than just straight yelling at you. Because people get defensive. I think she also shows her skill and talent right off the bat. (laughs) Didn't she transform straight into her cat? No, that's That's uh, I think that's a movie that she does that. I don't know. You know how I feel about the movies. I think she turns Spoiler like Spoiler alert, everyone. I'm not a fan of the movies for multiple reasons. That would have to be a whole different podcast, but not so much of a fan. Yeah, I think she turns like an animal or a thing uh, into an animal. She turns her desk into a pig. That's it. Yeah. So. Um, Which is, as the start of a class, a pretty show-offy move. Like, yes. look what I can do. Like, let's establish how good I am at this. And what transfiguration is. Because yeah. Muggleborns probably have no idea. Yeah, that's true. So I think it's a combination of all of it. I, I think you're right. Her inherent level of respect, even from right before the sorting ceremony, she's talking to first years as if they're fourth, fifth, sixth years. Of yeah. Like, I'm talking to you as if you're you not are my student. You are adults. Yes. Let's, 
not your yeah your first years but we expect a certain level of you no matter what year you are right let's act like it let's treat this appropriately professionally in a in a way right um yeah i agree the other aspect of the teaching which i think about more and more and more as i reread the series is just how much work these professors have and how ridiculous their class schedule is and because i'm a massive dork i decided to make a mock schedule for mcgonagall for transfiguration and I had to comb. She really has like, this color-coded it's, schedule. It's, of course it's color-coded. Look how pretty it is. It is actually very pretty. I mean, you can't see it because you're listening, but maybe Dan will post a picture It's got that. Yeah, I could do that. I could post the picture it's on It's so pretty. Twitter. I even made my handwriting nice. Um, no, so I had to redo the books to try to make some assumptions and parameters because the books are not always very clear as to what the teachers are actually doing during the day. And I tried Googling some, and I didn't necessarily agree with all the ones I had on Google. Um, so in one of the later books, this isn't like a spoiler or anything, but Harry talks about how he has four classes in a day, and two of them are double lessons. So I made the assumption that every lesson is an hour. If it's a double lesson, it meets once a week. If it is a single hour lesson, then it meets twice a week. And then sometimes in the books, they say that the classes, they're combined with two houses, but other times they are not combined with houses. So then I made the assumption that the double lessons are going to be combo houses. The single lessons are just going to be the single houses. So right off the bat, first through fifth year, you have three classes per year. One meets once a week, the other two meet twice a week. So that's four per class, so 20 classes right off the bat. And then for sixth and seventh year, your owl years, the assumption would be that those are double lessons because more complex magic means you want more time with the kids. And it's all the houses because not every kid passes into owl lessons. If they don't, my assumption is that they just have to go retake fifth year. So that means there are 27 different class periods throughout the week. And then I gave them each an hour for lunch because we all need that mental break. And every teacher has to have a prep. I'm assuming that they also have the union rules that we have out here. You got to have your prep period. It's also a sanity break. So they get one prep per day. And then one of the days they get two preps. The only way I could make a fit would be if they went from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. So you consider you have all these lessons throughout the week. And it's not so much... The, the workload isn't necessarily that you see the classes so much. It's that they have seven different classes to prep for. I work at a really rural district. I'm one of two English teachers, so I see everybody but a freshman. I have five classes to prep for. And anytime I tell other teachers that I have that many, they kind of like drop their jaws to the ground. Because most teachers, you have two, maybe three classes that you have to prep for every week. And you just teach the same class over and over again. So five is a lot. They have seven. That's a lot of curriculum to put together. And even if you're a veteran teacher, you still got to know like what you're teaching every day. Then you consider on top of that, they also have detentions, which sometimes go from 7 or 8 p.m. until midnight sometimes. I would not want to do that much as I love my kids. I don't want to see my kids right before I go to bed. 
And then they also have like duty, like rounds of the castle to make sure kids aren't sneaking around when they're not supposed to. And they have grading on top of that. So there has to be some kind of spell or quill with a self-grading thing on it, which I would love. Because I don't see otherwise how they can possibly get all this work done. For those of us listening (laughs) to all of this. I hope it made sense. And uh, (laughs) if you're like me and you're more of a visual person, um, I will post a picture of of the schedule (laughs) on our Twitter. So be on the lookout at Hogwarts a pod on our Twitter and I will post a picture of her schedule that you can look at when you listen to all of that teacher breakdown. Uh, it is it is pretty cool to see the schedule. I, I will say that. I was able to follow, but only because I was looking you have at the, the schedule. With it. Yes. Also, side note, just because this is me, Professor Bins, how the heck does he grade his homework? He can't touch it. He can't bring a quill to it. Does he verbally grade like just, but he can't move the papers that get turned in. He assigns all these essays. Maybe it's all just participation time. based. No, you really think so? He can read them. You just gotta lay them out on a desk. Well, some, who's gonna touch them to lay them out? Yeah, the students. They lay them out, and then he just reads them. If, if they're, they're, they're all on, like, there would parchment. totally be students who would like put their papers underneath each other to be like, he can't touch it. He can't grade it. He's gotta have somebody like put a quill to paper and just grade for him. Maybe that's the tensions. Maybe. Grade my homework. <laughs> anyway, we're going to pause right there and <laughs> we'll jump into spoilers after the break. Uh, again, look out for the uh, picture of Elizabeth's wonderful uh, McGonagall school schedule on our Twitter at Hogwarts Pod. And give me whatever criticisms you think of it because I don't know what I was looking at Google versus what I came up with. I did have to make some assumptions, but you can t- let me know what you think. All right, and we'll be right back with spoilers. In the dungeon! In the dungeon! Hey everyone, we are back from break, and if you stuck with us uh, through the wonderful breakdown of McGonagall's <laughs> class... I hope I didn't chase anyone away. Uh, again, uh, listen to it again when we post the picture of the schedule... Uh, it, it's a lot, but it also indicates a lot of what these teachers actually have to plan for and go through, which is great insight from Elizabeth, who's back. Uh, before we get into the spoiler section, um, I do want to mention a recent poll result. Uh, we had uh, the animal that you bring as a pet to Hogwarts. And the choices were owl, cat, toad, or other. I voted cat. I voted owl myself. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I need that snowy owl in my life. So the results of the poll were owl with 45.5% of the vote. I, I feel like that's a pretty I mean, standard... it makes sense. They carry a mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're practical. Cat caught second place with 36.4%. And then toad and other tied with 9.1%. <laughs> um, and I do want to shout out uh, one person who actually... Uh, replied with who their other uh or what that other might be and uh apologies if i uh, mispronounce this but el papo and patico what they want what was their vote replied to the poll he wants to bring a capybara capybara fun the largest rodent in the world yeah they posted a gif of uh, rodents of unusual size 
it definitely made me laugh. So uh, thank you to El Papo and Patico. And uh, if you want to interact with us and, and get some shout outs on uh, the podcast, please uh, interact at our Twitter at Hogwarts a pod. Um, so we'll jump right into spoilers. And I, I again, I wanted to just kind of reach out to uh, Elizabeth to kind of position of strength here and kind of <laughs> lean into it. But she had some opinions on JK's writing and some of her genius kind of behind it. So I'll, I'll kind of toss it over to her. I feel like a lot of times she gets knocked down for having very simplistic writing. And people, when they talk about the Harry Potter series as a classic, they're like, it's not a classic. It's not Shakespeare. Which I think is a really unfair comparison. Because, I mean, Shakespeare, yes, his genius was... His creation of new words and phrases and his writing, of course, has the longevity that lasts till today. But I think with Harry Potter, while it is simplistic, there's beauty in simplicity. And I think her real genius comes from the level of planning that she put into everything. I mean, if you look at the characters, every single character is well-rounded, even the ones that barely get mentioned. And the way she just drops hints as the stuff. That when you first read it at surface level, you're like, oh, I totally know what this is. And then you don't find out until way later that, no, you had no idea what that was. It's so much more important than it actually was when you first read it. Um, yeah, I, I, she, she just has such a genius with putting layers upon layers upon layers of meaning that you don't even realize after your first reading of the whole series or the second reading of the series. It takes quite a while and you can get something new every single time. Yeah, I think a lot of it is simplistic by design mm-hmm. because this is it's a young adult audience. Yes. So you have to It's have originally it targeted that. for a younger audience who's right. you know at a lower maybe reading level than, than and some. And you want them to actually read. I mean, how many people yes. Harry Potter was the first thing that they read? Absolutely. But you do get like these snippets of genius and and the more direct ways that you're talking about with literal names which you can talk about here in a second. <laughs> Um, but also she'll have moments where she just gets into the zone of description Mm. and she'll suddenly turn words that are at a fourth or fifth grade reading level into these very majestic, vivid images that she creates. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that a lot in... Which description is hard to do because naturally your eyes will skip over big paragraphs because we're all lazy when we read and we want to go straight to the dialogue stuff because it's just so much shorter. But whenever you reread those descriptions, you catch a new detail every single time, which is super cool. I think you see it mostly, at least in this chapter, the example of what I'm talking about with Snape describing his potions class. And the the words that she uses are just so vivid and uh, and specific. Like uh, the beauty of softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, uh, the power of liquids that creep through human veins. Which shows, I mean, one he's not just like he loves his subject, but he's a master of his subject. He is the potions master. And there's real beauty in potions that he sees and we know, like, has, has a great knowledge about based on his potions book that he hides away in his room. She 
kind of encapsulates Snape too with this quote that's basically quoted everywhere you see Snape. Everywhere. And Alan Rickman does a, a wonderful job of it in the movies. Uh, and I know Elizabeth's not the biggest fan of the movies, but... But he is perfectly cast. Uh, I, I will give you that. He is perfectly cast. The way he says, I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even... He says, put a stopper in death, but even stopper death. If you're not the usual thunderheads that I have to deal with. He doesn't say that part of the movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that bottle fame, brew glory, stopper... Talk about having a student's attention. Mm -hmm. He knows how to just literally ensnare your senses. Uh, you know, bewitching the mind and ensnare the senses. He ensnares every student's attention with his opening line. Yeah. That. It's a great attention, attention oh, grabber. Oh, man. It's sensational. <laughs> and um, you know, that's kind of... The... And I mean, Hermione sits up immediately and is like, okay, I am going to prove myself in this class. Which is so funny, because every time she does try to answer the question, he usually just shuts her down. Well, he hates Gryffindors being right, which is a whole other, <laughs> it's a whole other problem. Uh, and to be fair to Snape, which, you know, there's not many times I'm going to say that throughout the series, but mm -hmm. to be fair to Snape, Hermione in these first few chapters she is aggressively annoying. There are those students where you're just like, please just stop talking. Just stop. I know you have the answer, but somebody else needs to talk. Yeah, but Hermione does it too, and, and again, this is a credit to J.K.'s writing of, you don't see it, and you don't hear it, but reading it, you feel just how annoying <laughs> that is, and it's a credit to her writing, and it may be simplistic, but it's so incredibly vivid yeah. that you almost hear it, even though it's not being said. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, That's where I find them. I think Magic with the simplicity, it's, it's, it's almost like it tricks you into thinking that it's, oh, it's just a story about magic, but there's so much more in depth in it. Well, you were saying a little bit more about, like, the subtler genius of her writing and just some of the names and terms that she uses. All these names are so much fun, you guys. So, I mean, one, when you look at the book list, the book list is, is full of puns. I love the puns. They make me happy. But even the professors, like their names, like Minerva McGonagall. Minerva is Roman for Athena, goddess of wisdom. McGonagall is Celtic for the bravest, which is 100% McGonagall. Mm -hmm. Although Rowling also did say on Pottermore that uh, McGonagall was a, an English poet who was just awful. And she just thought it was funny for her to be related to someone who was so bad at that. But then you have like Pomona, Sprout, Sprout obviously for plant growth, but Pomona was the Roman goddess of fruit trees. Quinivorous Quirrell was Roman for wielder of the spear. He is literally carrying Voldemort, who is the ultimate spear of the series. Argus, I mean, he's not a professor, but in Greek mythology, he was a watchman with a hundred eyes, so he could see everything that's going on. And Bins, of course, is old English for hollow, because he has no life. He's dead. He's a ghost. <laughs> makes me happy so yeah it's, it's all very subtle but once you see it and of course you see it a lot more in um prisoner of azkaban with the marauders their names are just like so revealing as to who they are mm. well you also got into uh, a little bit with snape and we've kind of hinted at snape's future a little bit here and there His um, great resentment of everything harry 
Yeah, and <laughs> his role to play and his larger role, and some would call it a redemption, some would not it's call it a redemption. It's definitely something that you're going to get into a, a great debate when you get closer and closer. But she hints it here. Yeah. And, and Very first impression of, of Snape, right? He immediately picks on Harry, and he asks the question, what would I get if I added powdered root of asphodel to an infusion of wormwood? Okay, no. First time I read this, I was not smart enough to catch this, and I saw some theory on the internet, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. So I looked it up again for this. So asphodel is a type of lily, which has the meaning of my regrets follow you to the grave, and it's usually associated with the underworld in Greek mythology. Wormwood means absence, and it symbolizes bitter death. So when he asks, what do I get if I add those two together? It's literally, I bitterly regret Lily's death. And that's the first thing he says to Lily's son. And then he said when it's combined, he gets the drought of living death, which is how Snape has lived without Lily. I mean, he has been the walking dead in terms of his heart his entire time. And another layer, he said um, asphodel, which was once believed to cure snake bites, which completely foreshadows Snape's death. We know he gets bitten by Nagini, and his last request almost like your cure, is to see Lily's eyes. And again, asphodel means Lily. So it was curing him to see Harry's eyes before he dies. It's so smart. And you can't catch it unless you know, but once you know, you're just like, oh my gosh. Guys, how many of your minds are blown right now? <laughs> and, and thankfully we are in the spoiler section. It's just the level of planning and forethought. That is so, insane. Yeah. I mean... So when people are like, oh, it's simplistic, like, no, 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 no. There are so many layers upon layers. It, it, it's not just a surface level story. Yeah, her level of research is really remarkable and kind of how she planned out this series. And I guess, yeah, if you really wanted to dig in when you were 11 and go into the <laughs> roots of a lot of these words, uh, you could probably peg Which, out where the like series you is said, going. To be fair, most 11-year-olds are not doing no, they're like, but, what are these fake words that don't mean anything? But then, too, her treatment of the students, or sorry, Snape's treatment of the students, also reveals so much more details. I mean, Snape is the biggest bully to Neville possible, right? From the very start. He makes him melt his potion because he's so anxious. Or his his cauldron, sorry. He probably goes through three million cauldrons in the entire series. Um, But he goes after Neville because Neville was the other possibility for the um words are escaping me the prophecy yes i was gonna say prediction but i was like i know that's a different p word um had voldemort gone, gone after neville lily would still be alive so i mean yes we know he bullies harry because he is you know he looks exactly like james but he is ruthless to neville to the point where neville's bogart is is snape and it's because, you know, he represents what could have been. I'm not defending Snape here, but <laughs> in defense of Snape. It's hard to put that bias aside. But not even that. Neville is not good here. <laughs> Neville is not a competent wizard at this point. <laughs> It's his first he's, potions lesson. He's on a... Yeah, but I mean, this is a lot of people's first potions lesson. And he's not... He's the only he's one the burning only one, a cauldron. Yeah. 
Just imagine his grandmother getting an owl that's like, I need a new cauldron. Elizabeth, <laughs> you I had know, one day of school. I know you. You had students that aren't maybe the best. <laughs> I know what like, you're talking about. They're all amazing. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't get through to this one kid. <laughs> and it's killing me. I mean, on day one. And this is Snape we're talking about. Yeah, he has, he doesn't have the patience for he anyone. He does not have any patience. Slytherins. They can get away with anything. But incompetence? <laughs> is his like number one pet peeve <laughs> and it's like are you kidding me right now you and, and potions yes Snape says it's a subtle science to it and you know whatever that's fine but there's a set there's a set that thing of ingredients that you read <laughs> and they're literally instructions to do this that are laid out for you <laughs> and when Neville fails not just fail but he fails so epically do you really blame Snape for being like, what is wrong with you right now? I mean, I would never call any of my kids idiots, but he comes, I mean, did he straight out say it? Like, call him an idiot? He came pretty he close. He said it in, in, in at some point. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, so I'm not like 100% on the, wow, Snape was, I mean, he was brutal to Neville, but it's just like. No, we gotta pick it up just a little bit, like just a little. <laughs> he bit. He just makes him so anxious, which he does though. eventually. But it's just and Neville's strength we come to learn is more Sprouts area, right? Which is great. Keeping on Snape and students real quick. I know he prefers Slytherins, and I understand that, and I get that. I do. I really, really do. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> I've said that a lot. But his preference towards Malfoy and his preference to certain. Slytherins doesn't make sense to me, given his history that we know of in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. He was a Death Eater. He strayed from that path. He knows them. He knows not. He knows Lucius. He Crab knows Crab and Goyle. Goyle. Yeah. I know for a fact he hates Crab and Goyle. Because <laughs> they're idiots. <laughs> Death Eaters, yes, <laughs> but they're can't idiots. say that about your students. No, but you could say them about his fathers that they know, that he knows. That's true. And he still gives them preferential treatment. Malfoy, I know he can't like, because personally, he's a horrible person in every single way you can imagine. Like, Lucius is awful. Yeah. And you know Snape is smart enough to know that I can't trust that guy more than I could throw him. You well, know? keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to, like... Uh, <laughs> Suck for, up to the kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, for me, it's just like, I know your dad, your dad, your dad, and your dad are hor- A, horrible people, B, people I can't trust, and C, just, again, awful people. It's a repeat, <laughs> but awful people. So, yeah... You're doing great, bud. You're doing good. Your, your dad, I, I personally witnessed him murder some people, but you're doing great. You're I, doing good. I guess my one thought that I have against that, or to counter that, not really against it. I know, like I said, I teach in a very, very small school. Hogwarts is also, I would say, a decently small-sized school. It's like, what, like 50 kids per class, basically? One of the complaints the kids in town usually have is that certain names hold more power and that some of their teachers in their minds treat certain names with 
more preference or more respect or they get away with more than other people do. And Malfoy is a name that holds power. Well, I know other people will also say that, hey, look, Snape's playing a role here. Mm. Like, he has a secondary job to do. Mm. Um, which, again, you don't learn until much later. But <laughs> that second job is basically, hey, play your role, suck up to these awful people, and you know they're awful, and you don't like them. But your job, you might even fear some of them. He does also sneer at some of the things that they say, though. Like, kind of smirk. Like, whenever Malfoy's is being, like, hardcore suck-up, he's just kind of like, okay. Like, well little child over there you think you're you yeah. getting into me yeah so i mean you know i and i get that too i get that snape's playing another role and he has a larger game that he's at and i i understand that too but it's just like man that'd be tough to be like i know what you and your dad have have done you're not good like, <laughs> you are horrible but i'm gonna play around with you give you better grades better remarks better whatever just so I could play this role better when the time comes. Yeah. And I need you to trust me. Yeah. You'll trust me because I've been good to you for five years. <laughs> you know? I'm your favorite teacher. You'll do what I want. I mean, that's a hell of an endgame. And people are, like, talking about his endgame being, you know, with Harry and with other things like that. But this endgame here, just placating Malfoy, it matters in the end. Yeah. Because he tries to gain Malfoy's trust in Six. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Let me help you. I can I can help you defeat Dumbledore. I can help you with fixing whatever you need to fix. I can help you with whatever. That trust is earned here. It started here. <laughs> well, also Malfoy said his father always spoke highly of him. And he's the kind of kid who's like, my father's on the school board, right. so yeah. you want to make me happy. As much as we can keep talking about Snape, let's and talk about the house points. How ridiculous yeah, are yeah. house points? I love how Harry is like beside himself that he lost two points on the first day of potions, and he's just like, oh, "This is so unfair!" Like, child, you are going to lose so many points over the course of you're this series, lose, let alone this book. You're going to lose so many house points, but <laughs> they become irrelevant after book three. Well, there's so many times where the the hourglass gets broken, or uh, freaking Umbridge's squad, right? Mm. They come in and they dock all the points from everybody. That's right. Slytherin's is almost full, and then there's uh, the other three houses are all empty. Mm -hmm. I get Ravenclaw could have a good year. Slytherin might have a good year because of preferential treatment or whatever. Or they could just genuinely have one. Gryffindor, fine. How does Hufflepuff get, z like, zero points? How can he rightly I'm not saying win but like at the bottom like they gotta at least be like halfway or like second or third right it's Hufflepuff what are you saying they're at the bottom every single time in the fifth year with Umbridge it was like Slytherin wow. and then everybody else was down low and like how do you justify a Hufflepuff being like maybe, at the bottom maybe the Hufflepuffs were making snarky comments because they were like Umbridge you're such a horrible person we can't we can't stand it I don't I don't get how you could justify it. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, the house points thing is kind of funny when you read it early on. Because you're like, this doesn't really mean much. But he just gets so worked up. Like, oh my gosh, this happened. He hates me. So no, it's, it's going to happen so many more times. Well, Hermione keeps bringing it up relentlessly. But <laughs> whatever. You're going to take away the three points that I won for knowing whatever history of magic. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Um, anyway. Another thing we need to talk about. 
and the Sorcerer's Stone. We kind of first get our taste of it um, in that article that he reads at Hagrid's hut. Yeah, he, he this is the first time, well, I guess Ron I mean, mentioned kind of, it in the, the train about, like, oh yeah, just passing, like, oh yeah, someone broke into Green Guns, and then it moves away from it very quickly. Right, but he didn't say, like, what day it was. Right, right And right. then, of course, Hagrid's reaction to him being like, he didn't tell me it was that day. It was like, well, way to be obvious. He got hardcore yeah, trying to avoid the subject. Here's my question for you about that. Mm-hmm. Do you, because we've had this back and forth on the podcast about when was Quirrell possessed and when was he not? I remember you asked me about that after your first yeah. podcast with Anna. So, what's your opinion? Here, when he's getting, when he is... We're consulting the actual text. Anna and I did this in the first episode, too. We can't, we couldn't find it easily. But when Quirrell is robbing Greengrass, is that Quirrell himself with guidance from Voldemort? Or, sorry, Vold, Voldemort, as Anna would put it. <laughs> Voldy. Voldy. Um, or is that Voldy actually possessing him at that time and essentially robbing Greengrass himself? Okay, well, it says... What's your opinion before you start looking it up? What do you think? I mean, prior to you asking, I had never really thought about it all that much. I just figured Voldemort was always there because of what happens later on. But since... But it does make sense that if he failed to... Okay, so he's stuttering like crazy the first time they met him on page 70. So my guess is he's freaked out because one, here's Harry Potter and... Harry Potter is the person that is the ultimate enemy of the person that I'm helping out. But doesn't see the, say anything about a turban. But see, the issue... It doesn't say anything about a turban, but the issue here is... He could also be nervous because he's just about to rob the place. They shake hands, and Quirrell's fine. Whereas, at the end of this book, they touch, and Quirrell is like... Right, he can't, he can't take right. it. Right. So he's definitely not here. Okay, Hagrid says, Even Professor Quirrell was trembling, Nietzsche. Mind you, he's usually trembling. Poor, poor bloke, brilliant mind. He was fine when he was studying out of books, but he took a year off in first-hand experience. He's never been the same since. So, okay, my guess would be that Coral is trembling like crazy because here's Harry Potter, the, you know, sworn enemy of the man who has now sucked me into his scheme. So he's I'm under about- his influence, but he's not possessed at this point. Yeah, and I'm about to go rob Gringotts, and no one's done that before. And if I succeed, then awesome. But so if I fail, I think that Voldemort possesses him because he failed to steal a stone. And then that's why he has a turban when he's... So, okay. So you think Quirrell attempted to steal it from Gringotts? Failed. Because it had already been emptied. Or emptied. And then so Voldemort needed a closer so eye you think on Voldy, him. So uh, actually, like... Gave him tips on, like, if you were to do this, this is how you got to do this. Maybe. Because Gringotts is hard. I mean, Quirrell's talented. But to rob Gringotts is a real... And, and he succeeded, except for the thing wasn't there. Mm-hmm. That's the only way... That's the only reason he failed. It was, it was already gone. 
He says, page 291, that he's with me wherever I go. I met him when I traveled around the world. A foolish young man I was then, full of ridiculous ideas about good and evil. We met him. Um, since then, I have served him faithfully, although I have let him down many times. He has had to be very hard on me. He does not forgive mistakes easily. When I failed to steal the stone from Gringotts, he was most displeased. He punished me, decided he would there actually have a closer watch on me. We have a definitive answer, yeah, everybody. Yeah, so I would assume that that's so, what he's deciding to possess him. So, in that case, we need to give more props to Quirrell. Because if he, he again, had the stone been there, he would have been successful in stealing it. Because mm-hmm. he got there, it was just empty, and he got out. That's Which also shows how much, how aware Dumbledore was of it. Of it, you know, that he sent Hagrid to go empty the vault that day. Yeah. Uh, he obviously noticed something in Quirrell that was not. Right. Which we also noticed something of Quirrell in the chapter that was, again, very, very subtle. When Harry and Ron are trying to break into the third floor corridor because they are lost and they have no idea where they're going, and Filch is yelling at them, Quirrell is passing by. So clearly he is looking. Right from day one at the, you know, out-of-bounds corridor trying to think, how do I get past Fluffy? That's true. Yeah. So you don't notice until you reread it, and then you're like, oh, shoot. Yeah, there are some, there's, <laughs> there are some signs. All right, we are pushing the time for the spoiler section, so we will end it right here. If you want to join us in the conversation, um, like our friend El Papo Empatico. Thank uh, you, El Papo. Reach out to us at Hogwarts a Pod, and uh, you can uh, join in on this. You can reach out to me specifically at my Twitter at Daniel underscore Allen forty four. And uh, for Elizabeth, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Keep reading, guys. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.